Hi, and welcome back to the show today. I'm really excited to welcome back Lloyd Ernst. He is the founder and CEO of CloudStaff. They have had a really exciting journey over the last 18 months. They raised a huge round with Navigar just prior to COVID, uh, and they've uh, obviously struggled but adapted to COVID and raced ahead leaps and bounds over the last year or so. So it's a great conversation catching up with Lloyd Ernst again. I'm sure you will enjoy this podcast as I enjoyed recording it, and I certainly learned a lot having a chat and catch up with Lloyd again. Uh, as always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Lloyd Ernst, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Derek. It's great to be back here. It's great to be back, Lloyd, and, and I always enjoy my conversation with you. What I really enjoy is, is the fact that you really get business and you really get outsourcing. And it's a, it's a formidable combination when uh, we're in the thick of people's businesses and optimizing people's businesses. So uh, it's really great to have you on the show. And of course, we I want to get updates on cloud staff uh, to hear how you're going. Uh, and just a reminder to the audience, the last time that we really publicly got together was in the Outsourcing Summit. That was in October 2020. Uh, we were still very much in the thick of COVID then. There were lockdowns, but we managed to do a, a, a office tour around your incredible facilities. So, Lloyd, uh, how how are you going? And give us updates. You also took investment uh, recently. So there's, a, there's right. a hell of a lot to cover. Maybe, maybe you know, take us back the last kind sure. of six to 12 months and give us the highlights right. package. Uh, so, so, Derek, we uh, closed uh, a $30 million round with a local uh, um, VC firm called Navigar. Uh, Navigar um, had previously been in the, uh, uh, the, the founders of Navigar had been in the, in the BPO industry, um, and they built and exited several large BPOs, and uh, they were the, the, the key founders for Task Us. So in the early days of Task Us, Navigar took them uh, uh, from uh, a little office down in Cavite and sort of grew them out and, and helped them support the, uh, uh, you know, their, their Uber deal and, uh, and then later exited through to uh, Blackstone. And, and, of course, Blackstone have now taken 
task us through to an IPO in the US. And I think it's about $3 billion. So uh, it's really impressive. That's really exciting, isn't it? It's super exciting for the industry. It's super exciting for Navigar, for the Philippines, uh, for outsourcing. And it's really putting outsourcing on the map, isn't it? And um, that's just incredible for you to be associated with such a, a sort of private equity powerhouse. Really. That's right. And, you know, uh, it, the, the amazing uh, – and, and I've had several businesses over the years and, and have always sort of focused on, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to bring in an investor into your business – you really want to find someone who understands the business. It's very difficult when you bring an investor on and they're not, then they, they don't understand your industry. You know, when we had Web Central, uh, you know, we brought on Malcolm Turnbull and the guys from Aussie Mail, and again, they knew the ISP industry, they knew the technology, so it made the board meetings a lot easier. It makes the decisions uh, a lot easier, and so um, especially in a, in a services industry like the BPO sector. Um, you know, we deal with so many moving parts. It's very difficult for board members to kind of come to grips with exactly how this industry works. So when you bring people on, um, you know, like like Navigar, they 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 just absolutely understand everything, and it's a it's a breath of fresh air. And they're also able to sort of you know give advice. Uh, it's 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 fantastic. So um, I think you know, when. When, when people are looking at bringing investors on, uh, you know, you've got to weigh up the experience that the investor brings into your domain knowledge as well. You're certainly sharing good company there. So do you expect to follow in the footsteps of Task Us? Are you IPOing in five years? Is this a- it's, it's still early, early days at the moment. But, you know, one of the... the um, uh, one of the, the the reasons that we took the investment from Navigar was to help expand into the US. And so, um, you know, in the, in the last uh, six months, we've kicked off a fairly uh, major campaign into the US to help drive awareness about uh, about outsourcing and about, about cloud staff. And we're starting to see the fruits of that. Uh, you know, last year, we still managed to grow 38%. Uh, and, and this year, you know, we're seeing anywhere between 7 to 10% growth per month. So that's partly the marketing starting to kick in. But, we're, but it's also as the US economy rebounds, we're seeing a lot of demand from our customers. And, and our customers are not the big guys. You know, we're not Verizon. We're not T-Mobile. You know, we're not Citibank or Amazon. You know, we're, we're small to medium enterprise land. And, and it's those customers that we're seeing starting to uh, in, embrace uh, growth and looking for uh, um, you know, staff to help them grow their business. There's a lot I want to touch on there, but um, just going back to Navigar, you raised your, your funding at quite a fortuitous time. It was just before the COVID. And yet, yeah. you know, there's been incredible uh, disruption to the industry, yet you've managed to grow 38% last year. Can you speak to COVID and, and your growth and how you sure. found that whole disruption? You know, now, I'm, I'm actually a pretty humble guy, but I tell you what, if they're giving out Academy Awards for Series B fundraisers during global pandemics, you know, I at least want to be on stage with the winner. Um, we we moved into uh, to lockdown, I think, on, on March the 12th, and, and our, our deal was due to complete, you know, the... The capital call had been done, the due diligence had been done, the contract had been signed a month beforehand. It was purely just the capital call and waiting for the close. Uh, and uh, so we moved into lockdown and, and then uh, then all of a sudden, you know, uh, eight hours before we were due to settle uh, the final close, you know, the, the uh, Australian dollar collapsed and of course all our forecasts were, were based on that. 
So that, that introduces you know, very interesting scenarios. Uh, but we, we worked with the, the, the Navigar team through the night uh, and gave them the, the confidence that uh, you know, we thought this was an opportunity. And, and to be, be honest, a, a lot of what I think got them over the line was looking at the pictures of the staff on Facebook sitting there and we had you know 95% of our staff operational in 24 hours uh, and uh, seeing them sitting in their homes and uh, and uh, you know some some of the setups were a little bit rough I can assure you but um, you know that, that gave them the, the confident confidence that uh, you know that we could work our way through this and um, and so uh, the uh, Friday morning uh, we then completed the deal and, and away we went. Incredible. I imagine you all would have gone through nervous moments, Aaron, Nori and uh, Javier of uh, Navigar must have nerves of steel, yeah? <laughs> I think so. And uh, But, uh, you know, we, we really haven't had a chance to get together. Normally when you, you'd close around like that, you'd all uh, sit there and pop the champagne and, and, and we had to do it all remotely. So we haven't had a chance to, to really meet the guys and celebrate. Strange time. So. And so 38% growth and, you know, how... With COVID, you know, we're hoping we're all seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now, but how has your strategic and operational kind of leadership and direction changed as a result of COVID? Every, everything has changed. You know, there, uh, there is hard to find something inside our business that hasn't changed or, and, you know, and, and it's, it's not going back that way either. Um, and, and, you know, um, I think one of the, the really interesting things was that, you know, the, the world has had this global lesson in remote working and, and we're really starting to see, uh, you know, the momentum from that. But, um, you know, everything has changed inside our business. You know, we used to have a training department. Uh, now we have a TV studio with uh, two studios and green screens and and, and we have presenters. Um, you know, uh, we, we've got a, a, a team of motorcycle couriers because, you know, to support our work from home staff. We want to be able to sort of get the products out there faster than we, we can using a conventional service. Um, you know, we've, we've rebuilt our offices. We'll introduce in the next couple of weeks our Suite Ones, which are small, um, like an airline-style uh, cabin for in individual staff with independent air conditioning and those sorts of things. You know, our, our customers are saying, you know, we want a blended model. We want some staff to work in the office and some to work at home, and we need to be able to support that. You know, I think this time, uh, you know, before COVID, I think cloud staff had eight laptops, and that was it. You know, we didn't believe in laptops. We didn't want the staff having laptops. They will lose them. You know, they'll break, everything like that. You know, I've got like 2,000 laptops now. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard to find something that just hasn't changed inside the business. Um, and, uh, you know, I think... Um, we, we, we think that you know, the, the, the model moving forward is giving customers flexibility and we absolutely have customers that you know, require a, a secure environment and PCI compliance, et cetera. But at the same time, we have other customers who are looking for a more flexible way of working. And so we need to be able to solve those problems. We, when, when the staff start to return back into the office, we, we're just going to say, whatever office you want to come into, you're more than welcome to. And uh, you know, we, we were also in the process of opening up some more offices here as well, uh, and that they will be of a smaller footprint and a different configuration. What do you see the, you know, how, what proportion of your teams then do you think will be work from home versus uh, work from office and then, and then hybrid? How do you see that playing out maybe five years from now, Lloyd, once things have settled down? 
I think I think we will. You know, th there is this professional loneliness, and it is a thing, and it happens. And and so I think there will always be this this, this need and requirement for staff at some point to have some contact with with other team members. You know, where we suspect that forty percent of our employees in the future will be work from home or a blended work from home. Uh, we we think that the way the model does return back. Probably about 60% of the employees, for security reasons, you know, will be required to to operate from the offices. So, so that's the the uh, where, where we think it's sitting there at the moment. But I think for um, um, a, 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 some other specialty roles, you know, they will probably be more work from home. So. I really love the fact, Lloyd, as well, that you're embracing the the smaller customer. You said the customers are not the big guys, and you are a well-funded. Uh, high quality enterprise firm, uh, yet you're not sort of, you don't see it as a graduation then to go to the big boys and to do the RFPs and the, get the Ubers and Facebook of the world like Task Us kind of did. Um, I personally believe that the riches are actually in the smaller businesses, you know, and the, the mass uh, economic activity is within the, the smaller, medium-sized enterprise. Do you see that as the, as the sort of the, the frontier of the outsourcing industry? Little fish are sweet. And, um, you know, I think what, what, what what's, and, and when I, uh, when I sold my, my last business uh, in 2005 and moved to China, we started to do some outsourcing there, some data entry work for customers in Australia. Um, and it didn't work. You know, there were just so many problems. And it, and it wasn't just the language, but it was the technology, their services were on premise, everything like that. And so what's happened is as the SMEs have moved to the cloud, it's opened up the opportunity that technology barrier has disappeared. And so, you know, they've moved their file server, they're now in Office 365 and Salesforce and, and everything is now cloud-based, which means that, you know, the staff can work from home or they could be working from cloud staff. And on top of this move to the cloud for the SME sector, now all of a sudden we've got COVID and remote working. Uh, so, you know, there are, there, are, there are two levers there that are obviously being pulled in, in, in our favour. And, and, you know, we, we, we want to focus on the small to medium uh, sector. There are, there are very different um, uh, uh, customer than the, the larger corporates, um, and, and that introduces a whole lot of challenges. Um, you know, we've, uh, we, we're, we're an enterprise-sized company, but really, we're, we're just a whole heap of small to medium enterprises. And, and that's why, you know, we, we've, we've got a big development team that builds the software that we need to use to be able to sort, sort the configuration of the customer that we have out. It's difficult to see trends when you are in the thick of it and living through things day by day. But I think we'll look back in 10 to 20 years and see this massive inflection point now during COVID of businesses transitioning to remote uh, and not just then remote, but embracing globalized remote work workforces. And that's really when you're, you, you're leveraging the best of the best is when, you know, you, you sort of open your business up to remote, um, but, but sort of look at it as a world supply. Yeah, but it's, it's, you know, I actually think businesses may even get smaller in the future, not larger. And the reason being is that it's not just about the, you know, the cost of the labour. It's about the cost of the time. It's expensive to meet, to manage people. It's expensive to do the reviews. It's expensive to manage the occupational safety and health. It's expensive to man, man, manage the culture, everything like that. So, you know, if, if you're in the US today and you've got 
400 staff working for you. In the future, you might only have 300, but you'll have another 400 in the outsourcing, offshoring, cloud staffing, gig economy model. And it's and it's simply that you just don't have time to, to spend managing staff. And the staff that you do want to spend time with, you know, they're going to be those key value creators inside your organization. And it's not that the other people are unimportant. You know, they are important, but it's simply just a reflection of how much time that we, we have to spend. Look, how do you see the the trend in the informal uh, employment sector? Now, you know, 25 years ago, it was really hard to do offshore staffing, but now there is all of the, you know, everything's in the cloud, there's all of the infrastructure, and people can, you know, go to websites and find individual employees and, and sort of hire them direct. But you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the support, often that leads to a lot of disappointment. But it is a growing sector, and I think it's really competing with the high-quality service providers. Uh, how, how do you see that kind of playing out over? over I, I think you, you'll you'll also see you know compliance <clears throat> play a role here. Um, you know the 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 especially when you know a lot of these countries now start to look at how do they rebound. You know where is the tax base going to come from? And a lot of these people where you have an ad hoc relationship, you know, they're paying the staff direct and the staff aren't paying tax and that's going to you know, cause a burden. So I, I think the you know, the challenge with some of those sites is is how do you demonstrate that, you know, your your commitment to the, the countries where the staff are living um, is, you know, is, is delivering back to the tax base inside there. So I think that that is one of the challenges, but also at the same time, it doesn't mean that, you know, we can't necessarily, we can't necessarily uh, you know, forget that sector. And so, you know, we've introduced a product called Cloud Staff Now, which is an hourly product for a range of services. So, you know, we, we, we think it's, it's quite complementary. And they're kind of gateway services, aren't they? I mean, you know, like I think Tim Ferriss did really well for the industry about 12 years ago when he wrote about virtual assistants, but they're not the be-all and end-all. And really, there's a lot better you can get out there, more professionalized, scalable services. But hopefully, maybe it's a gateway. People, you know, hear about the Philippines, hear about online professionals, uh, and then they can, you know, eventually uh, get um, better um, service provision and, and kind of go up the quality ladder a bit. Well, I think it's a, it's also about giving them confidence. And you know, one of the things that that we find is in, in when in the sector that we work in, which is small and medium enterprise, it's all about trust. You know, my goodness, I have there are companies that have twelve people in the US and they've got twenty people with cloud staff. You know, we we we, we have most of their company, and 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 they put a lot of trust in us. They put a lot of trust in that team, and 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 so you know we've got to make sure that not only do we deliver on that, but we also uh, are able to sort of you know meet meet the expectations and, and also find you know, other ways that we can introduce other services through them. But um, um, and uh, you, you said that trust is just such an important part of working with small to medium enterprise. And how do you see? service provision changing over the next five to 10 to 20 years? Is, is it fundamentally people and people placement or is it also a technology overlay? You know, how do you, how do you see the sort of total value proposition of outsourcing? So, you know, we, we, we have a fairly, I've got a fairly large development team of about 60 or 70 people who, who work on building the systems that we have. And, and one of the areas that, you know, we continue to sort of invest in is, is around machine learning and AI. Um, and and we don't think that that technology it's it's we don't think it's about replacing people but we see that 
as, as technology that augments the agents or the staff. And it gives them, if you give the staff that sort of technology, they make better decisions. I remember a few years ago, someone said, is, uh, you know, your, your personal assistant, are you going to replace them with Alexa? And I said, no, um, and my PA has Alexa and she's got Siri and she uses all that stuff. So, you know, you know get this, you know, there's, there's no reason why that, you know, your, your offshore, your remote staff aren't using this technology themselves. And also another common fear, and I love, I, love, I love to sort of tap into your thoughts on these things because you are such a, a thought leader in many ways, but uh, AI, automation, machine learning, do you think that's going to take everyone's jobs and, and is it the sort of the end for uh, outsourcing? No, absolutely not. You know, when, when, when has, I've been in technology for a long time and when have we ever managed to uh, sort of, you know, uh, jobs just move, you know, they, they, they don't disappear overnight. Um, the technology industry has created just so many jobs, um, and it, but you know they're not the same sort of jobs that they were, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, you know, there used to be typing pools inside large corporations. Well, well, they've gone, but they've been replaced by other jobs. So, so I just think that you know, machine learning and AI, it's, it's it really is about um, you know us figuring out how do we give these tools to our staff so that they make better decisions for the customers and, 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 uh, and bring that together. It is incredible, isn't it? The march of technology is, is relentless and it's speeding up yet, you know, and, and, but you also look at machines, you know, machines, are, you know, replace telephonists and typists and uh, computers have no doubt wiped hundreds of thousands of jobs off the planet and robotics in car, car factories, for example, have, have wiped out hundreds of thousands of jobs. Yet we're still, you know, with the exception of COVID, we're still at the lowest employment levels ever. There are many cities in the US that uh, just can't get the staff they need. They're at record low unemployment levels. And especially if you look at certain verticals, you know, you cannot get uh, highly qualified developers or people in e-commerce or marketing. Um, Cloud-based security, all that, absolutely. You know, they, you know, I think Amazon have a report out that even in markets like Australia, you know, digital workers, you know, we, we're going to be short three or four million digital workers. So, you know, making sure that you have people that have the right skills um, is, is absolutely key. So, so part of the uh, part of our, our goal is also, you know, launching a university this year to be able to make sure that we can give the staff a, a secondary skill set because, you know, the, the industry will change. But if you've got staff that understand uh, you know that, that have a secondary skill set that are, that are smart and trained in different areas, then they're, they're very flexible staff. And someone might be thinking then, so what is the educational level and skill levels like in the Philippines and how deep is the talent pool? Someone in New York might be thinking, look, if I can't find people here, how can, I, how can you find someone in the Philippines? But how do you see the, the talent pool in the Philippines? Uh, with, with the change to the education system here with the K-12 and the universities, you know, I think we, we've always been very, very surprised with how good the education uh, is here in the Philippines. You know, the, uh, also, you know, it, there's, there's no other better place when it comes to uh, uh, an English-speaking uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, Asian economy. So um, uh, I think uh, uh, education will continue to play a, an important role in that. Um, we're, we're, we're already starting to see how we can take this, the skill set of the staff to the next level, uh, whether it's through you know, cloud technology and, and learning, you know, getting certifications in Amazon or Google Cloud and those sorts of things. So um, uh, I, I think we're, we're, 
we're very excited about how we can sort of start to roll these these programs out. And again, yeah, the, the technology is making it easier and easier for staff to be able to multi-skill in this area. Um, it's true, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Go on. Um, I think also you know, one of the things that, that we found early in, in, in Australia uh, was that you know, people would develop uh, multiple skill sets because we, we just didn't have the people and they were expensive. So you expected to get someone who could be a database architect, who could be a you know, front-end developer and could you new .NET and, and new C-sharp, et cetera. Um, and, but what we found when we, in, in the Philippines is that people do specialise in, in quite a narrow vertical but we're starting to see people expand there and get secondary skill sets, which make them a more desirable candidates for customers that are that are looking to hire them. The the sort of tech scene and Silicon Valley they're really championing championing the vocational studies and online learning and the MOOCs and things like that. And it's so relevant when knowledge is is evolving so quick, isn't it? The, the degrees and college degrees and five-year qualifications, they're now less relevant because knowledge is, is changing so fast. You are creating a university. And so it's really about kind of vocational learning, learning on the job, apprenticeships, but learning those skills and evolving from there, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's how do we give people experience? And so, you know, we've developed a number of simulators, which we, we try to uh, sort of give them uh, a little bit more of a real world experience. Um, and uh, uh, then when we, you know, we, 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 we develop some training programs, which allow us to be able to bring people in who have some mature age skills and uh, sort of retrain them in some different areas and then put them put them with customers. So uh, I think there's some good opportunities inside there. It's not just about attracting fresh graduates from university. It's about taking people who've been in the, mar- in, the in the market, have a little bit of experience, but need to uh, sort of, uh, you know, change some skill sets. Super exciting. So, Lloyd, you have grown immensely over the last year and you're, you've got a huge growth curve now. It looks like hockey stick uh, growth. And... What is your product now? What is your placement? How do you position yourself? Uh, you know, can you talk through like kind of pricing or structuring? What is your ideal client? Yeah. Well, well, firstly, you know, we we embrace transparency, and, and you know, our model is really a uh, we are a sort of a high volume, low margin business, and so you know, we we're we're, we're not there saying here's a staff member and they're going to cost you you know X dollars an hour. We say, look, this is John. And John, you know, this is his salary, uh, and uh, then you pay a cloud staff fee for us to be able to provide the, you know, support the employee and look after them. But for all intents and purposes, they're, they're your employee, and you get to control. And the thing I love about the cloud staff model is that if the employee work does a good job for you, and you you say, well, look, let's give them a pay increase, hundred percent of that goes to the employee. You know, so the value that our customers spend on training the, the staff. Um, you know, when they want to reward that, it all goes to the staff member. So, so we've got a transparent pricing model. All our customers know the salary of the employees, and there is a cloud staff fee uh, that that we charge to be able to provide all the services and manage them, and the HR and all those sort of things inside there. So, uh, I like the, the the transparent models because it encourages us to find the right staff and make sure that you know everything works. Um, I'm not incented to go and find the cheapest staff out there because I'm charging $12 an hour. I want to find someone for $6 an hour. doesn't work like that. And I'm, and I'm not incented to go and find someone who's ridiculously overpriced because I make a percentage of their salary. You know, we, we, we separate the salary element 
from, from our, our offering, and, and that's separate, and it means that the customer gets the full value of the investment that they're making in the staff there. And you have effectively an enterprise infrastructure there, but you can support businesses just for one staff member, even you do sort of hourly, and then up to you have enterprise infrastructure that will support hundreds of, of staff on a team as well? Absolutely. And, you know, we, we, we probably wouldn't you know, bring in a customer who's looking for, you know, 500 staff. That's really not our, 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 our sweet spot. You know, we, we, we have our customers have everywhere from one to probably 200 staff. And we've had to build very specific technology to be able to support those customers. Uh, I said, you know, we, we're, we're an enterprise-sized business, but we're really a collection of lots of small SMEs. So everything that I have to do, I have to keep in the back of the mind that, you know, everything we deliver could be supporting a customer who only has two staff or three staff. Uh, so, so, you, so that means that uh, all the systems that we build and the tasks management and the re- reporting and the holiday structures and all that stuff needs to be sort of, you know, to support masses of SME customers. And you're seeing a lot of growth in the US. How, so you have your ear to the ground there and you have a lot of insights into the market. How does the US see outsourcing? You know, is it friend or foe? Are they, are they more aware of it now? Do they kind of know how it works? How, how do you see that people see outsourcing? The, the customers that, that we, we deal with, I guess, have, have developed a bit of a global view. They, they realise that, um, you know, they, to grow their businesses, they need to be able to access, uh, you, know, you know, human resources. And sometimes it's not just about, uh, you know, a, a, uh, the, the fact that the Philippines is, you know, probably about 70% cheaper for them than, than hiring onshore. But it's about the fact that they can scale this quickly when they decide that they want to find good staff. And it said, you know, that they rely and they, they trust us to be able to help manage and find those staff and, and put them together for them. So a lot of what we do is about educating them as to, you know, what is best practice here and, and how, do you, uh, uh, how do you manage the staff? So, uh, so we, we put a lot of effort into that area. Fantastic. And I am always encouraging the bigger BPOs, and you might not be, you know, that pleased by that, but encouraging the bigger BPOs to think of the smaller market. You know, they they seem to sort of forever be looking bigger and bigger, and they only want the two biggest clients in the world, and they're all fighting for that. Um, Yet, you know, as we've mentioned, there's there's tens of millions of smaller clients out there uh, representing hundreds of millions of seats. Uh, Yet, they don't seem that interested. Do you see movement in the in the bigger end of the market uh, with with them seeing interest in the small? Not at all. Not even remotely. They just don't have the expertise or skills to be able to move down to the smaller end. Um, you know, I was uh, the task us uh, uh, mentioned in their press release that they look after SMEs, but you know they've got like hundred customers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like guys, you know, you, you, you know, that's 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 not when you've got twenty five thousand people and hundred customers. You know, they're not SME. So um, the, the problem with the big guys is that you know you need a totally different mindset. You need a, you need to be totally re uh, you know you, you, everything needs to be reskilled or, or rekeyed to support you know, small to medium enterprises. Um, you, you can't use the same corporate sales team. You can't use the same account management process that you do for you know, larger, uh, larger corporate customers. Uh, SMEs require a much different approach and, and you've got to you know, start that from, um, build that from the ground up. So I think that they will struggle 
to do that. I think that uh, some of the larger corporates may acquire smaller uh, BPOs to be able to get them some some SME expertise, but um, it is uh, it, it is a it, it requires a, a totally different uh, reskilling of your of your tools to be able to support a, a large SME base because you've got to do it on scale. There's lots of SMEs, lots of BPOs out there, and you'll see it in the marketplace. They've got 400, they've got 500 odd seats, and and at that point, everything kind of starts to break down because they they're just using spreadsheets to maintain it. You know, they're using a couple of HR products and those sorts of things, but you know, they just haven't got the investment in the technology to be able to support lots and lots and lots of SMEs at a small scale, or lots of SMEs, sorry, at a large scale, uh, and so. Um, you know, we, we've been able to sort of invest in that technology. And so, you know, we now add more, we add more staff in a month than, than, than I think, you know, 80% of the BPOs in the Philippines have in their entire uh, uh, sort of uh, floors. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's it, they're, they're different customers and you've got to invest in the technology because it's, it's about having a reproducible product time and time and time again. I'm about. I'm, I'm sort of waiting and expecting for the floodgates to open in terms of the awareness and adoption of outsourcing generally, and you know I sort of expect there to be a tipping point. And with COVID happening and everyone being forced to adopt remote uh, work and remote practices and remote uh, enablement tools, then it, it sort of people must now be realizing, hey, if we've got a completely remote team and I don't see these people and they're sitting in the same hometown as me, there is that opportunity to to hire remote on a global basis. I, I don't think that transition has really been made yet, but do you do you see that as a sort of natural transition or as COVID finishes, do you think people will revert back to where they were? No, they, they, they've changed their tool set. You know, before COVID, if we were speaking to a prospect in the US, you know, it would be phone me, send me a text message, you know, but everything was, you know, do me a phone, let's do a teleconference, let's do something like that. Uh, COVID came along, let's use Zoom, let's use Microsoft Teams. So they, they've started to change and they've started to get in front of the camera, which has just been a remarkable change, change uh, uh, for us. Um, so the, the, uh, the tools have changed. You know, previously where they've had a server sitting inside the office, they've now moved that to the cloud. Uh, and again, that, that works well, bides well for uh, uh, you know people in the outsourcing industry. So I don't think I, I think um, uh, I, I think yeah, the, the, a mindset has been changed. Um, the security element has also been addressed. You know, we've had to build products to enhance the security of of working from home and, and, and working in the office and those things, and customers have had to do that themselves. So there's been a, there, there, there has been a lot of gains made in in, uh, in in during COVID, and I think we will keep those uh, to be able to ensure that we we've got a flexible workforce. Thank you, Lloyd. And so, what do you say to people that if they're on the fence, they've heard about this outsourcing, maybe with COVID and a bit of a recession and hard times, they're now really reviewing their opportunities and options. Outsourcing is a genuine opportunity to add resource, but also save costs. Uh, what do you say to people that are on the fence and, and maybe just should give it a go? Look, you, you really need to talk to people. You need to, you know, uh, you know whether it's uh, you need to talk to the outsourcing companies. You need to ask them who are their, their reference sites, and and then you know start that conversation. And the other thing is, you know, you need to talk to your your, your onshore people about you know what it is you're hoping to achieve with this. 
Um, and uh, you know, it's it's you know, we very rarely see customers that are uh, that that go through and it's and, and it's about replacing a whole lot of onshore staff. It's about building a comp and complementing that onshore team with an offshore team. You know, this is about moving those repetitive tasks offshore so the the onshore team can focus on you know more important value building for your organization so it's 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 about getting out there and having a discussion and and when you do decide to put your foot in the water then you know put your toe in the water you want to make sure that you know choose something which is going to be the low hanging fruit you know don't choose something which is really going to be very difficult um, you know choose a task to outsource which you know you're going to have some success with because that will give you confidence then to be able to you know, learn what's involved with this and then you can start on the next process and the next process after that. It's so powerful, isn't it? And once people start, they they kind of, they're hooked and they realise the power of this thing. But also once they engage or if they partner with someone like yourselves, they're, they're not just getting an offshore staff member, they're getting all of your infrastructure, your executive knowledge, your experience, your technology behind the success of that program. Absolutely. Fantastic, Lloyd. So if anyone wants to know more or if they want to reach out to you or know more about CloudStaff, how can they do that? Well, you can check us out at uh, cloudstaff.com and, and that's the easiest way. Uh, when we're here 24 hours a day, um, you know, there's always someone there and uh, we're always happy to talk and share our experiences. Great talking to you, Lloyd, and congratulations on, on your growth. Thanks, Derek. That was Lloyd Ernst, the founder and CEO of CloudStaff. As always, if you want any of the show notes or to get in touch with CloudStaff, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to drop us an email, then just email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.